I'd like to read something real quick. Dear Will Richardson, I would like to formally apologize for anything I said about you over the last two seasons. I couldn't have been any more wrong in the slanderous way I attacked your play. Although last season didn't go as planned, <laughs> that's no excuse. I know that, and you know that. You've proven why your accolades, why you have the accolades that you have, and that I'm just a guy watching on the couch. I have since attended the Luke Rittenauer point guard sensitivity training classes and have learned a lot about my wrongdoings. I sincerely apologize to you and anyone listening, and I hope you forgive me. Sincerely, bartender Shane. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Flock Pod. We are at hashtag 135 here in beautiful Chopper Base. The Avatarier producers are out there sleeping on the couch, keeping Miga company as she plays some GTA. And it is a beautiful kind of actually, no, it's not a beautiful day in Eugene, Oregon. That is an absolute lie. That is an absolute lie. But if you please be so kind, go find us at the Flock Pod on all of your major podcast streaming platforms. Also, please go find us at the Flockpot on all of those social media platforms. Give us the like, give us the retweets, give us all of that beautiful interaction. You can find me at Coach Justin D on those same social media platforms. Shane, tell them where you are. You can find me at Bartender Shane Six on Twitter and at Walk of Flock of Shane Six on Instagram. And we are, of course, joined by our third Duck Migo in crime, Mr. Duckswire himself, Zachary Neal, fresh off the beach. Zach, how we doing, sir? I'm doing great, man. Uh, there is, it's, it feels like it's been a long time since I talked to you guys. One, because, yes, I was on vacation last week. And then the pod we did right before that, I was sick as a dog with the flu. So I don't <laughs> even really remember recording that one. So, And there's just there's so much to talk about right now. I just I can't wait. I've been excited for this one. Yeah, we have a slam-packed podcast for you flockers today. Uh, first and foremost, well, first we'll talk about a new offensive coordinator, Will Stein. We will jump into the madness that is the transfer portal, get a little recruiting roundup, talk some pro deck action, and then of course talk about the round ball, both teams playing well right now, duck generate final standings, and then of course our last take of the pod. But yeah, let us not dilly-dally any longer because dilly didn't dally here in Eugene. Let's get right into this conversation about the new offensive coordinator, Mr. Will Stein, coming in from UTSA, where they went 11-2. and Offensive coordinator over there, they averaged 38 points per game, 6.5 yards of play, 63 total touchdowns, and a stat I think a lot of Duck fans will appreciate, 49% conversion on third downs. Shane, when you first saw this news, what was your initial impression? Like, did you even know who Will Stein was? Did you have to hit the Google machine? Oh, absolutely. Hit the Google. Well, didn't have to hit the Google machine. The news kind of broke. I immediately went to Twitter. And uh, it's funny because about half of Duck Twitter was immediately an expert on University of Texas San Antonio football. Or is that is that what it is? Well done. Yeah, the Roadrunners, baby. Yeah. Uh, 
Yep. So, yeah. And then the, the great debate was already on, you know, the world was lit on fire. So it was kind of that was how I kind of got my education on our new OC it was kind of people bickering with each other, whether or not this was the right move. Uh, virtually unknown before the season. I think if anybody would have said this was a candidate, you know, like at the, the end of the year. I think they would have been either very, very well informed or very, very full of hot air. So, um, yeah, I uh, I'm optimistic. I have a lot of faith in in Dan Lanning and his choices. Um, I think that he knew when he hired uh, Dillingham that he wasn't going to be there long. So I think he was already putting together his his list of potential candidates even before that Arizona State uh, job was available because. Dilly was leaving soon, regardless with the way that offense was performing and and everything kind of attached to him. No, you're not wrong there. I think this was a move, and Zach kind of alluded <clears throat> to this a couple times on previous podcasts that they were preparing for in the background. They were kind of getting themselves ready for. Um, Zach, you're obviously you know the more informed of the three of us here. What was your immediate reaction when you found out it was going to be Will Stein? I was kind of in the same boat with you guys. I had no idea who this guy was. I was lucky to have a, a source inform me of the hire before it actually broke. I was able to to kind of, you know, he, he came out and said like, Hey, this is, it's coming out soon. And I was like, all right, can you give me a heads up on like what the name is at all? So I can be ready. He told me, well, Stein, I was like, I'm really glad you gave me a heads up. Cause let me do a quick research <laughs> like article on him and find out who the hell this guy is. But um once i found out more about him i i really like this guy um you know jd already talked about the 38 points per game they uh, utsa averaged over 500 yards per, per per game on offense um and will stein's really good with quarterbacks he played quarterback himself at louisville uh he knows that position well and he's good at uh maximizing his receivers as well uh josiah uh joshua cephas and zachary franklin were utsa's top receivers this past year franklin had uh 1100 total yards or receiving yards joshua had 985 they combined for 20 touchdowns between those two uh i think that he really i mean one of his his things is that he wants just like dilly said he wants to get the ball to playmakers and just kind of let them go to work and so uh, and another thing he he wants to take at minimum of two deep shots per quarter um just to keep the defense honest so i think that it's really it's a hire that's not too different from what dillingham was but it's just a guy that i think is young up and coming and someone who's probably going to stick around in eugene for more than you know one season maybe hopefully two seasons maybe three if we can get it who knows but uh, we finally might be able to see a little bit of continuity at this offensive coordinator position and from a coach who I think is really smart, really dialed in and um, is definitely going places. Man, I remember feeling old when college players were younger than me. Now college <laughs> coaches are younger than me, and I really don't know how to feel about it. I mean, this kid will be 33 years old. Um, really, like you guys said, both kind of just popped off the scene this season. He's been a name kind of in circles before, but I like this hire. I like this hire a lot. I think we got, like you guys have said, again, a kind of a dilly clone. Um, talks about how he wants to run the ball with physicality, wants to establish the line of scrimmage, you know, get his offensive linemen playing downhill, get them confident. And then, yeah, look to expose the spaces that that run game can create with explosive plays to playmakers in space. I think that sounds beautiful. That sounds wonderful. Let's start it right now. Can we, can we start the 2023 season now? Let's see what happens. Um, <laughs> anything else that you guys kind of want to touch on with this hire? It is, again, we kind of touched on his age a little bit. I was in the <clears> camp. <throat> I did want to see a little bit maybe of an older coach brought in, kind of an old wise man. I think every staff needs one of those in some kind of capacity. 
is it is it concerning to you guys his age in any shape or form i don't really see it as a big concern and i don't really look at his age being the big like uh deciding factor that like kind of groups him in with these other coaches but i did see a video of uh stein kind of it was like an auditorium uh speech to the team or whatever and kind of going through his offensive philosophies and just kind of talking about offense in general and to me, that was when it like the, my light bulb kind of went off. Where I was like, oh, okay, I understand this higher now because it was like the way that he controls a room. And all of these guys in this coaching staff have a presence about them. Yes, they're young, but they have this energy. And it kind of reminds me of like that uh, Silicon Valley kind of like takeover of like these new like tech guys being like younger and sleeker and kind of approaching business in a different way. And this coaching staff has a similar feel to that where – they're they're young they control the room they're very well spoken and they have a, a lot of energy about them and just like their approach to the game has a very um like a youthful connection so i really like it and i think that it also helps out with the recruiting process i think a lot of these kids want to be around guys who are a little bit more like-minded to them than nick saban and hugh freeze and some of these guys who have these major pedigrees and are going to continue to recruit but are still just kind of like these it's got to be uncomfortable in the room. And I, I just, I like these guys. They got cool shoes, they have energy. I, I think it's great the way that he fits in in just a, uh, uh, like a, a business environment almost. Yeah. I think communicating the game is really important. I mean, knowing the game, but to being able to communicate it to 18 to 24 year olds is obviously a big part of that job. And so the fact that he can, and he has demonstrated that at least on that and you know what he did at UTSA, um, Anything else? Anything else you guys want to kind of touch on here? Do we need to? Uh, I don't think we need to stay on this for too long. Um, it wouldn't be a flock pot if I didn't send you guys an itinerary beforehand and then blitz you with something that wasn't on the itinerary. <laughs> so I just, I just want to ask you guys a question because I mean, I think there's been two premier hires in the Pac-12. Um, sit down, Stanford. We're not talking about you. Um, who, who's the? Who do you think has more success over the next three years? Primetime in Colorado or Dilly in ASU? I mean, that's a hard question to answer until we know about like the sanctions and everything that's going to happen at ASU. Mm -hmm. Uh, But even if they like were in the clear and able to like go to the playoff, like even if that was possible, uh, I still think the answer is Colorado because I think that, you know, primetime has so much pedigree about him that he's going to get the recruits and the transfers. We've already seen him. He flipped a a former Notre Dame commit, a four-star running back just a few days ago. Like, People are going to go to Colorado to play under Dion. Um, that's not to say anything bad about Dillingham. He's going to get his fair share of players as well. Uh, but I think that I'm I'm very excited to see what, what Colorado is going to be over the next few years because I, I think it's just going to be really incredibly fun to watch. I'd probably go in a three-year span, I'd go with Colorado. But in like a six- to seven-year span, I'd be a little bit more curious to see what Dillingham is going to do because like Zach said, Dion's going to get the recruits and the transfers right now. We've already seen it, but there that leaves a lot of room for the wheels to fall off there as well. Cause if there isn't success in a three year span there with the amount of talent he's going to bring in, then the bullseye is going to be on him and college football head coach is not a long-term job right now because you have a very short window for the success, especially when you get like the boosters involved with how much they're going to be paying him. I mean, his contract was, moderate i'd say i mean from what we what's been kind of like leaked and projected out there but that's still i mean he he's going to be looked at as kind of a world changer there so if it doesn't happen immediately where dillingham 
I think, you know, is such an X's and O's guy that he's going to have success in, and it's going to be more elongated. I don't know if it's going to be immediate here, especially with the sanctions Zach was saying about, but I think that once he is able to get some of his guys and find a couple diamonds in the rough there down in Arizona, then he's going to have some more longevity there. But follow-up question. How did you guys feel about Dion coming into the room and like basically telling them all to kick rocks? That was hilarious. Yeah. I, again, I'm, these kinds of situations, I end up being of two minds, you know, part of me, you know, loves his brashness, loves that he's being genuine, loves that he's just going in there and speaking his truth. But as a coach, man, to walk into a room and say, Hey, we're bringing our starting, our starting quarterback with us. Like, yeah, he's standing right over there <laughs> and that's my son. You know, that's kind of, it's kind of like an AAU hoops look a little bit to me. Um, but again, he, he establishes what kind of program he wants to have. If that's the way he's going to, you know, communicate with his guys and he can attract guys that respond to that, then that's the beauty of college coaching. I think I totally agree with what JD's saying, but the way that he said it is what made it so perfect. When he said, I'm bringing my luggage and it's Louie, <laughs> like, you can't really be cooler than him in that moment. So yeah, I, I enjoy right. it from a content. Right after he waited in the hallway until that like Tupac song came on so that he could walk in the room to it and says, that's how I enter the room. Uh, Yeah, I I actually had a lot of mixed feelings about it. I kind of thought my initial response was like, oh, like I was a little shocked and I thought it was a little dirty. And then I saw like Kenyon Barner defending him being like, I wish people would have been like more honest like that with me in my process. I'm like, yeah, there's some there's some truth to that, too. Truth hurts sometimes. Truth hurts. Any chance uh, Dilly lands the the brothers, the Uyungle brothers? He's talking about a big no. recruit coming down there. He's talking about landing a huge fish that's going to turn the program. No, okay, just I see them going to LA. Just throwing that. Out. I mean, yeah, Mateo put out a, a top three of Oregon, Ohio State, and USC. So I don't see him going to Arizona. That it'd be completely shocked. Yeah. Um, yep, I mean, yep, yep. good for Dilly if that happens. All right. Well, I think Dilly would be better with like a a pure passing kind of like a little bit more of a. Yeah. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I hate it. It It really does. Yeah. Um, Get that prime home cooking. Speaking of transfers, let's talk about it. Um, 18 transfers from the Ducks in the portal so far. the running back room seems to be the hardest hit so far, but let me just run through these real quickly and you guys can laugh at how I pronounce names. Uh, we got Edge, Brandon Buckner, quarterback Jay Butterfield. From the running back room, we've got Cardwell, Dollars, McGee, and Aaron Smith. Wide receivers, Dante Thornton, Malachi Russell, and Terrell Tillman. Cornerback, Jonathan Flo. Linebacker, Justin Flo, Adrian Jackson, and Jackson LaDuke. Tight end Maliki Matavau, Edge Jabril McNeil, D- defensive lineman Brady Swinson, and then we've got punter Tom Snee. I didn't even realize he was still on the roster. I thought he left halfway through. Yeah, he left before the season, technically. That's what I but thought. Okay. Was not on a new team yet. So, mm-hmm. offensive lineman Dawson Haramil and Jaramil and offensive lineman Bram Walden. So a lot I think, of soft J, hard J debate today. Yeah, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of tough ones in there. Um, we kind of talked about it a little bit pre-podcast. I think for, for me, the, the biggest surprises there are Dawson and uh, Matavau. Um, for you guys, are there any other names that kind of caught you off guard? I um, think what 
caught most people off guard, most like common fans was Justin Flo. But yeah. if you look at the stats, we've been on this for, you know, a few weeks now that um, I, I hadn't heard anything that he was going to go, but it wouldn't have shocked me. It didn't really shock me when he did go. But uh, Maliki Madaval tight end and was probably the one that I didn't see coming at all. I know I didn't really see Dawson coming today either, but it made a little bit more sense. But Maliki had a role in this offense. And while it may not have been as big as he wanted it to be, he was kind of tight end two behind Terrence Ferguson. He was still a really solid blocker, a solid pass catcher when he had the ball in his hands. Um, that one hurts a little bit. I know that the Ducks have a path forward. They've got some good tight ends on the roster and a really good tight end coming in the 2023 class and Kenyon Sadiq. Um, I don't know if you guys, side note, I don't know if you've seen his game tape at all from high school. This He's the number one player in Idaho this year. He's impressive. Uh, you should definitely go watch his tape because it's it's fun to watch. He actually moved up to the – he's classified as an athlete, and he's like the number 73 player overall in the nation in the 2023 class. So he's a, a baller coming in. Um, but outside of that, yeah, I think that Maliki's probably the, the one that surprised me the most. What about you, Shane? None of them really shocked me, honestly. Um, it, with the state of college football, you kind of got to get it or get out. And uh, a lot of these guys were kind of on the outside looking in. I think that we had, we, we saw a lot of potential in a lot of these guys, but I mean, that's just kind of the state of college football right now is these guys with potential who are kind of like, like I said, on the outside, they got to go and get some, get some place where they can get guaranteed playing time and then maybe transfer to another school after that. So, I mean, it's a, it's a weird time. There's a couple of names on there. Really disappointing. Uh, Buckner was one that I was really like a player that we were really high on uh, a little bit ago, just because of his long arms and his like athletic build. I was really excited <laughs> to see him get on the field, but I mean, I just got to kind of hope that some of these names, I, I always root for them to just kind of stay around this area, whether it's like staying in the Pac-12 or, you know, like some of the the smaller conferences, just so we get to like kind of keep more tabs on them. Uh, Tyler Shook went to Texas Tech. He kind of like disappeared from my life. I would have wished he like, he would have <laughs> stuck around a little more. Just I like to just like kind of keep keep tabs. Uh, but we did see, um, didn't uh, the wide receiver Thornton transfer to uh, Auburn? No. Oh, I don't think he... Officially did yet. He's taking a oh, visit there. Taking a visit but to Auburn, seven, Mc, seven McGee transferred to Jackson State mm-hmm. right after Dion left there, which is kind of interesting. Just, yeah, <laughs> interesting, move. interesting move. We'll go into the yeah the HBCUs. I mean, there's a lot of things could be tied into that. But uh, and yeah, dollars, I guess I just saw I saw a picture landed of, at Nevada, so he at least stayed a little same with home. same with Laduke. Yeah, oh, yeah, Laduke. Well, and the okay, Nevada. Yeah, Nevada coach uh, Ken Wilson was the linebackers coach at Oregon under Cristobal. There, uh, it's I forget his title, but um, Alex Mirabal is like the director of operations there too, and he was the former running backs coach. So it kind of makes sense that both Dollars and uh, Leduc ended up there. Yeah, and then I see Jed Fish <laughs> is trying to lure Mister Justin Flo down there to Tucson, Arizona. That'd be an interesting fit, actually. Uh, if he did end up landing down there. Uh, but have no fear, Duck fans. Have no fear. Dan Lanning and his... Uh, I was trying to make some kind of a Cape Crusaders joke there with Coach, and I just couldn't get it out. Just tripped right on over it. They've already brought in a couple guys. We've got a linebacker coming in from Iowa, Justin <coughs> Jacobs, and then wide receiver Alabama, Treshawn Holden. So, Mr. Ducks Wire, tell us what we need to know about these two guys. Justin Jacobs, um, I'm pretty excited about him. He is a big guy. I think he's 6'4", two, around 240 is what I saw. That's off the top of my head, if I remember right. Um, he's had some injuries during his career. He's only really played one full season in Iowa. 
but during that season, he had 53 total tackles, one forced fumble. He was actually picked going into the 2020 season by a lot of media outlets to be one of the Big Ten defenders of these of the year. Um, and if you want to see how big of a player he could be, look at how upset a lot of Iowa fans are that he entered the transfer portal and came to Oregon. A lot of them are are not too happy that he's going to be a duck. So um, I'm excited for, I think the linebacker was a, a big area of need uh, for this ducks team because, you know, we don't really know what's going to happen with Sewell yet. Uh, flow gone. We'll see what uh, Bossa can do in an increased role. Maybe Keith Brown, but bringing in a, a talented experienced big 10 defender uh, is really going to be beneficial to this team. Absolutely. Absolutely. Shane, any thoughts on uh, Alabama wide receiver, Treshawn Holden? Got into Alabama, so you know what I mean. Like that's good. Like, <laughs> like I didn't really have to do much research. I was like, oh, so he was a big time high school recruit. You know what I mean? Uh, no, that's exciting. Um, I think to to have a player like that with that kind of pedigree to come out west where things can be a little bit less physical. You know, sometimes like it's that Jawan Johnson effect where he's like, damn, I wish I'd have came out west a little bit sooner. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> instead of playing up there in the cold at Penn State. So, yeah, I mean, uh, to get out of the SEC, to get out West, it's a little bit easier to score some points. I think it's going to be a situation where he's excited um, to be in what it sounds like is going to be a pretty pass-friendly offense. And to be paired to the uh, proven talent like Troy Franklin, I think is a, is a great one-two punch. It sucks to see some of these guys go, but boy, does it make it feel a little bit better when you see the ones coming in. Well, and that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. actually. Go ahead, Judy. I was just going to say it's, that's eight, that's 18 active scholarships. You know what I mean? That just gives this, this coaching staff more of an opportunity to continue to put this, their fingerprints all over exactly what they want to shape this roster. Yeah. You pretty much took the words out of my mouth right there. I mean, this, this is how college football goes right now. And honestly, this is a good thing for Dan Lanning because a lot of the year we were questioning, you know, is some of the lack of success. I know they're a very successful season, but some of the lack of that top end success is it because he doesn't have his players. He's kind of dealing with the players from the previous regime still. And now he's getting a chance to go out and get his players. And while we're seeing a lot of people leave, you know, not most of the people on that list of transfers out of Oregon were not huge contributors this year. So um, I, I think it's really good to see that Lanning is able to pick the players that he's got on his roster right now. And we'll see how that works in the end. Absolutely. Absolutely. And speaking of that, there's a couple other big targets out there that the ducks are going after, but you know what, we're just going to tease that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to just curveball here. If you want to find out more information on those targets, go check out ducks.wire.usatoday.com. What a great website. Uh, let's talk about some recruiting guys. Let's jump into this recruiting roundup. And I think, you know, besides the Will Stein news, the thing that kind of shook Twitter the most this week, well, besides something else we'll get into a little bit later, um, Dante Moore, Dante Moore going down there and posting some photos in that blue and gold down there in LA. Um, Zach, what the hell's going on? I wish I knew. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. It's been kind of a roller coaster ride the past week with the Dante Moore saga. Uh, I was told that he was really locked in to the Ducks. He had a, he met with Will Stein and talked with coaches. Um, things were going really well. Then he took an official visit to UCLA to go see Chip Kelly over the weekend. Um, make of that what you will. It could just be a you know an all-paid, all-expenses-paid trip to Los Angeles when you live in Detroit in the dead of winter. Um, but then a, an article came out from 247 Sports today, Steve Wiltfong, who is, you know, very credible, very good at what he does, 
said that people around him who were once saying that he's locked in on the docks are saying, nah, he could flip. And so there's there's real questions about whether he's going to sign with Oregon next week or not. Um, I know the Ducks are trying to get him on a visit this weekend, get him back in Eugene. I know it's it's going to be a, a big visitor list. I know Phil Knight's going to be in town. They've got Jurion Dickey, the other five-star uh, wide receiver. You know, everyone that's anyone is going to be in Eugene this weekend. And if the Ducks can get Dante Moore on campus and with the coaching staff, with Will Stein again, uh, it'd be huge. But right now, you know, it's, you know, there's real concern that he's going to flip to UCLA, which is not something that I've really been concerned about before. Shane, how did I know this is your favorite time of year? You know, when we talk about recruiting and we talk about, you know, our decisions and being on the whims of, you know, 17, 18 year old 17 kids. 17 year olds, yeah. Yeah, I'm but uh, how, how did you feel? <laughs> how did you see, how did you feel when you saw that picture of uh, him in that UCLA uniform? Oh, it's shocked me right down to my core um yeah i mean because he, he said all the right things all like this whole time you know what i mean he's like every every turn he was like no i'm a duck i'm a duck i'm a duck but you know sometimes like we say like games feel like whoever has the ball last is gonna win sometimes it's kind of how recruiting feels where like whoever gets the last sales pitch in kind of like has the upper hand so i'm you know i'm hoping that he comes back to eugene he's not like fully pot committed at this point but it's <sighs> It, what, what are we supposed to say about this? You know what I mean? Like we get some of these kids who are like the most overly committed, like, like seven McGee, who was like champion for championing for Oregon the entire time he's in high school, repping all the Oregon stuff. And then, you know, he's all in, he comes here and then he's like a transfer, like, you know, two seasons later or whatever. And so, yeah, I, you know, whether or not he comes here and then leaves immediately or, you know, is going to be in UCLA or, Maybe it's better. Maybe he goes to UCLA and he transfers to Oregon after like he throws a couple interceptions. I don't know. That seems to kind of be how this is like how the carousel is like shaping up though. Well, and I think Zach hit on an interesting point too that, and we've talked about this in previous podcasts, Shane, for a lot of these kids, these are just opportunities to go on trips with their buddies, you know, and go see other campuses and get told how great they are over and over again and get to take cool pictures and get to take home cool gear for their family and things of that nature. So it does make some sense to to take advantage of those opportunities. I mean, take advantage is probably the wrong nomenclature there, but to, to take these trips and to go through these experiences and to have these opportunities to be exposed to other things, because again, they are 17 year old kids. Maybe your mind does change. Maybe you meet a coach on, on staff or on campus that you didn't meet before or something of that nature. So it just, it does, it does hold water to take these extra trips, but. Um, we, we've all seen, he got game. It looks like a fun time. <laughs> well, and there's a new a new wrinkle in all of this too with NIL. I mean, this could yes. be a complete like chess move. He could go down there and see what they've got to offer and then come to Eugene this weekend and say, hey, UCLA offered me X amount of dollars. Are you going to beat that offer? If not, I'm going to go down to, to Los Angeles. So it could be a complete bargaining move. Uh, we don't know that. I don't know the thinking of Dante Moore. I don't know the offer that he's been given by Oregon. So that's just kind of another wrinkle in all of this with the NIL landscape. And it's something we're going to see a ton more over the next coming years. Yeah. Or, or maybe Mike he thought, no, he thought Bo Nix was going to be out of town and maybe he isn't. Exactly. That's that's a huge piece of all of this. I mean, mm -hmm. there is a clear roadmap for Dante Moore to be the starting quarterback at UCLA in 2023. 
I don't know that that same opportunity is there for her and for him and Eugene because we still don't know what Bo Nix is going to do. I have a very good feeling on what he's going to do, but that's you know that complicates a lot of things. And we'll get to that a little bit later. Let's talk a little bit more about recruiting here, gentlemen. A couple other big names here on Oregon's radar with a defensive lineman David Hicks and then offensive lineman Caden Proctor. Do we have Zach? Do we have any new information on these two guys? Because these are two guys Oregon's trying to flip, correct? Correct. Uh, Hicks was in town last weekend for a, a late announced visit, which actually it was like his. I think his second visit to Oregon in the last month, fourth uh, overall this year. So it's clear that he likes Oregon. Uh, he's a Texas A&M uh, commit right now. I think he's from down in Texas. So um, I read something on 247 yesterday that said that if Oregon was in Texas, like he'd be playing at Oregon. It's just the, the <laughs> fact that playing close to home, that's like, that's a big draw to him. Absolutely. So, um, I think Oregon is in a really good spot to potentially flip him. I've heard that, the Ducks are trying to get him on campus again this week, just a week after his last visit, just to try and, you know, sweeten that pot a little bit, make sure that he he's in. Um, but yeah, that's a, an interesting one to keep an eye on. And the same with Caden Proctor. Um, he visited for the Washington game. I know Adrian Clem was in Iowa for his uh, state championship game. Uh, the, the Ducks are in a good spot for him. I've heard that they're trying to get him on campus this weekend too. They're, uh, they're really trying hard to flip him and, uh, that was kind of something where I saw Dawson Jaramillo's uh, transfer today. And I was like, oh, okay, does this tell us anything about Proctor or some of the Juco offensive linemen that could be committing to the Ducks? Because, you know, Dawson was going to be competing for a starting spot next year, and he may see that room start to crowd up right before his eyes. So uh, it's a little bit interesting. We need our own version of the Brian Windhorse meme with Zach just like pointing up, being like, hmm, what does this mean? What does this tell us? Um, yeah, I mean, you you kind of mentioned it, Zach. This is a huge recruiting weekend for the Ducks. A lot of big names in town uh, going to hang out with Uncle Phil. And I think an underrated part of these big recruiting weekends and why a lot of these coaches you know, don't see it as underrated and try to get a lot of these guys on, on campus at the same time, again, they're 17-year-old kids. Get them to hang out with each other. You know what I mean? If they end up liking each other, it just strengthens the bond that much more to want to come to the same school. Um, I don't know how much, I mean, we can talk a little bit more about recruiting here. Shane, did you have anything else you want to talk about there with those recruits? No, nope. really not. Okay. Um, we did look to fill one major need here for the University of Oregon with Ozzy Punter coming in. Luke Dunn, I'm guessing is how that's pronounced. Yeah, yep, I that's think what so. I'm guessing. Okay. I like that we hit the nail on the head about him being Australian even before it happened. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Ozzy punter. Definitely. Um, and I just thought this was fun. Just as a little tack on here. Uh, Oregon extends a walk on offer to Ontario Smith Jr. So that's uh -huh. that's that's fun. Little blast from the past. Uh, we did talk about it a little bit. Um, let's mention some more now about guys possibly headed to the NFL. Bo Nix obviously being, you know, the biggest name in that conversation. Shane, you're you're the the bet. I mean, Zach, you're a betting man on here too. But I just think of Shane more as the the gambler here on the podcast. <laughs> That's fine. What are, probably what lost more money than him overall. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of what kind of odds would you give Bo Nix on staying at Oregon right now? Oh man, I'd say him staying in Oregon. It's probably two or three to one somewhere around there. I, I'd say like over the past couple of weeks, I think it's kind of swung back down. I think, I think if you would have asked me that same question pre like the Washington game, it would have been like, I don't know, 35, 40 to one probably. 
So, I mean, it's swung back down considerably. Uh, I think the fact that, you know, we haven't really heard much from him, I think gives Ducks a lot of like Duck fans, a lot of desperate, like optimism where it's like, Oh, if he's not saying that he's going, that means he, you know, at least is thinking about it. And I, I think that I kind of fall into that camp a little bit too, where it, you know, it, it seemed like he was going to have nothing else to prove there for a second. And then we lose to Washington and Oregon state. And it's like, maybe this is like that extra bonix chip on his shoulder thing that he needs to come back, beat a couple rivals. And I mean, it's also fair to say that him getting injured and, you know, not being the same dude in the last, you know, three weeks of the season didn't help his draft stack draft stock any. And I think that, you know, we, we all have kind of looking at that as being the barometer for where he's going to be looking at when he's going to go, which I think is absolutely the right move. So, I mean, if he sees this new offensive coordinator being somebody who can propel his draft stock in you know, next year's draft, why not give it, you know, roll the dice and maybe make yourself a second round pick instead of like a, a fifth round pick. What would you say, Zach? What would your odds be right now? I would say, I think those are probably the proper odds. Um, in my mind, there have been two, you know, instances in the past month that really, I think tip his hand a little bit. One when Lanning announced that he'd be playing the bowl game, that's instantly like, oh, okay. Why, if you're declaring for the NFL draft, why would you play in the bowl game? It doesn't make sense. The second one is when Alabama wide receiver Treshawn Holden committed to Oregon. What mm. you know, top end transfer portal wide receiver is committing to a team that does not have a starting quarterback for the next season. I so when I saw that. It. Exactly. It's when I saw that, I was like, okay, that exactly the, the Brian <laughs> Windhorse meme. It's like, okay, I don't think he's coming. If Oregon is saying, yeah, we probably have Dante more unless he flips, then it's Ty Thompson or, you know, whatever transfer portal we get. So um, I certainly feel very confident that uh, Bo Nix is coming back. We don't know for sure, but you know what? We are going to talk to him tomorrow because we finally get uh, practice, not access practices closed but we get to talk to coaches and players after the game or after the practice and Nick's will be one of them i can guarantee you he will be asked he may tell us that he hasn't made a decision yet or he'll tell us yes or no so um we'll certainly know a little bit more tomorrow i can't tell you for sure that we'll know the the final answer but uh we'll get a, a good indication of where his head's at we'll know a little bit better about the uh the health of his ankle with the way he dances around that question yeah, <laughs> yes, well done, sir. Well done. Um, a couple other big names. I mean, with DJ Johnson and Christian Gonzalez already declaring, uh, the two names that have the biggest question marks left on them are Noah Sewell and Brandon Dorless. Obviously, you know, defensive, you know, stalwarts for this program over the last few years. Um, Zach, same question. Where do you where do you kind of land on these two guys coming back or going to the NFL? This one's tough. I mean, I almost want to say it's like a pick'em. I would honestly almost lean that they would come back. Um, it's just kind of weird that we haven't heard anything yet. Yeah. And it's the same thing with both. Like if we see them at practice tomorrow, I'm going to feel a lot better about them staying because once again, why would you play in the bowl game? If you're going to declare for the NFL draft, especially when it's like not a, a major profile bowl game. So um, I don't really know how to feel about it. I hope they both come back. I think they'd both be well served with another season. Um, but yeah, we'll see you guys, you guys, is this, is this like a Joey Harrington situation where they're out there? Bo Nix is recruiting these guys like, Hey, 
You know, I know we fucked up a couple times this season, but we could really come back and do something special next year with the talent we've got coming in with everything we have. I just got really excited. Like really, really excited. I saw you that, get excited. That light when I was bulb talking. hadn't I was like, really. Yeah, <laughs> I was trying to stop talking as quickly as possible to hear what you were going to say. I was like, "How do I wrap up this sentence quickly?" Well, and like, like I was saying with Bo Nix earlier too. I mean, like you know, Sewell and Dorless, those guys are ducks. You know what I mean? Like they, that's where they came. They haven't wavered. They've been, you know, starters pretty much the entire time they've been here. Yep. And they've been through a coaching change and beating Ohio State. And like, there's been, there's a lot that they accomplished in their time here. And the end of this season, I'm sure left an extremely sour taste in a lot of these players' mouths. I mean, they didn't, you know, like the, the rivalries weren't even rivalries to these guys until this season, really. And then, so I, that could be part of it. It could be like that. Hey, you know, let's, let's get the band back together for just one last run. I don't know if it's the right move, though. I mean, if I'm Sewell and they're projecting me as like a top eight inside linebacker, I'm probably going and taking the bag. I don't know, though, but look at where his, where Sewell's specifically, where his draft stock was going into this year to where it is Mm -hmm. is now. I mean, I saw Mm -hmm. some mock drafts going into the year where he was a top 10, top 15 pick, and now it's rare that you see him in the first round. So, yeah. yes, he could still get some good money going to the NFL right now. But I think if another year under Dan Lanning, another year where they could potentially play for the college football playoff, I think his draft stock rises. I think he has a lot to, to gain by staying in Eugene. And, you know, there's a lot of risk there, too, you know, injury risk. But um, I don't know if I'm talking to Sewell, I'm trying to tell him that, hey, there's there's a lot of upside if you come back for one more year and spend more time learning under Dan Lanning and Tosh LePoy. My only pushback on that would be, I think both of those guys, what they're able to do physically, I think their draft stock is going to improve once they get in some team workouts and combine situations. Like when they get the measuring tape out with Dorless and then they just see Sewell moving on the field and just like hearing what it sounds like when he hits people. So, I mean, that would be my only pushback, but I, but I do think like in, in a perfect world, I think that they should come back. You know what I mean? But it's just football Mm -hmm. is such a violent sport that, I'm always kind of in favor of getting, you know, the money that you can, unless it's like the only time I'm really wavering is in like a Bo Nick situation where it's like, if you get drafted in the sixth round as a quarterback, you kind of have a foot and a half out the door already. Almost the Desmond Ritter situation, but we'll talk about that a little bit more also coming up. Um, Again, this is a situation where, I mean, previously I'd be a hundred percent with you, Shane, you know, go get the bag. They can get the bag here now. Yeah. You know, get Uncle Phil. We need we need a bag, baby. Drop a drop two. Drop two right on Doorless and Sewell's doorsteps to, to keep them here. Um let's let's talk a little NFL. Let's let's jump into some pro ducks conversation here. Um Justin Herbert is really good at football, you guys. It turns out is I really? was wrong once I again. Impeccably wrong. <laughs> Um, and I've eaten this sherbet on this podcast before, but uh, yeah, he's uh, he's very very good at football, and I think we can put this uh, Herbert versus Tua nonsense finally finally to bed. But I think the more interesting question here that I want to ask you guys, uh, Shane, I want to throw this to you first: Where does Justin Herbert fall right now in your NFL quarterback rankings? Um, let's see. So we go Allen, uh, Mahomes. Really, I've heard Mahomes. I, Allen no, over Allen Mahomes. Up, I think some Mahomes. people are just well. Like, no, I'm just yeah. saying. No, I'm just listing people I'd have over. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. Lamar, <laughs> I would have over him. 
but mm. I'm a bigger Lamar guy than most people. Yeah. Okay. All right. uh, I just think he makes NFL football like more fun to watch. So I always have like a, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, Ravens games are usually more like interesting on the eyes. Anyways, uh, shit. I mean, I'm forgetting somebody, right? I mean, Burrow. I wouldn't have Burrow. But even then, I don't know, you know? I mean, I think they're kind of 1A, 1B. See, for me, that's where the conversation starts. I think there's a conversation to be had about Burrow and Jackson. I I love Lamar. I I mean, he's one of my favorite um, players to have on my fantasy football roster, for sure, just because he is so entertaining to watch, and I just love the way he plays football. But I think think Herbert – I think Allen and Mahomes are kind of in a tier of their (laughs) own, and then the Burrow, Herbert, Jackson are kind of all in that next tier. What do you think, Zach? I agree with that. Yeah, I would agree. I've got – no notes on that. I think it's it's just been so much fun to watch. It was so fun to watch in that game what he can do when he has healthy receivers and he has people to throw the ball to. It's like, oh yeah, this is it's it's just crazy how people forgot all year that oh he was dealing with a broken rib and oh he had no receivers and no healthy offensive line. And then once he got even a semblance of that back, it's like, oh my gosh, this guy is one of the most incredible talents we've seen in a long time. So that was just a lot of fun to watch. You could tell if people hadn't ever had a rib injury before by if they criticized Justin Herbert for the first seven <laughs> so weeks. So true. Of the season. <laughs> yeah. Every time I heard it when I was working, like, well, I just don't get what's wrong with him. Like, his fucking rib is broken, dude. It probably hurts to breathe. I was like, I don't yeah. understand how he got his pads on. Like, how did he lift his hands up enough to like get the pads on? Like, he had to must have like dove into it or something. Like. No, that throw he made to Keenan Allen where they both just started pointing at each other, that was mm-hmm. preposterous. Like that, he has yeah. a cannon attached to his shoulder. Um, a guy that has struggled with the cannon attached to his shoulder, um, nerve injuries and, and just more injuries. You know, Marcus Mariota has really had a tough go out of here in the NFL. Um, I think if you run his career through a simulator, you know, a hundred times, this has got to be in the bottom 10% of outcomes, you know, for what his career looked like. But Atlanta Falcons fans are out for blood here, guys. Um, they're really, really going after him. Um, for those of you that don't know, um, Arthur Smith went to Marcus and basically told him that he was going to be benched in favor of Desmond Ritter. Uh, Marcus had been playing you know, with a knee injury, I don't know for how many weeks here throughout the season, uh, but it had really been bothering him. And so he said, okay, you're gonna, you're gonna bench me. I'm gonna go ahead and go get my knee cleaned up. I'm gonna go ahead and go get surgery. Also just so happens to have a beautiful baby at home, a very new child. And basically just born last week, right? Just last mm-hmm. week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Basically yeah, left the team. Sure, like, yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of back and forth in regards to, you know, what that communication looked like and, you know, who's in the wrong here. Um, I've made my feelings pretty strongly made clear on, on the old Twitter verse. Uh, but how do you guys see this situation? How do you feel about this? Shane, let me throw this to you first. So you mean a guy that gives a shit about his personal health, happiness and family more than his fucking job. Oh man. Like let's get so upset at him. Like what a bad dude. Like, like everybody who is upset with like with what he, how he's handled the situation, like if they're like the most stellar fucking employee at the gas station or whatever, like is just a ridiculous. I know I'm taking shots at Georgia people. They're probably really upset because <laughs> fucking their weather is just horrible 12 months out of the year. But you choose to live there. So whatever. Um, yeah, it's I think it's ridiculous. And all, all the just the nasty shit that has just been said about a guy who's like, oh, because he like went to be with his kid and what because he didn't tell us in some like formal message that we wouldn't give a shit about as a backup quarterback for like the 
third team in the NFC South? Like, what the fuck are we talking about? And Marcus was awesome this season. Like, if you're a Falcons fan and you're upset at how the season went and you're trying to fucking put that blame on Marcus Mariota, then you need to, like, just reevaluate, like, a lot of things going on in your life because that whole division is garbage. That's the only reason they were even competitive in the first place. And they overachieved. They were fun to watch. They were, like, in competitive football games. And if your team sucks, all you really want them to do is to be – fun to watch on Sunday like oh let's like have him be interesting and not be this year's like Los Angeles Rams like it's that's that's it like that's the whole that's like the entire conversation Zach anything to add absolutely not maybe a couple (laughs) f-bombs I don't think Shane left many on the table (laughs) no it's it's unfortunate because Oregon fans obviously know what a a nice person and like a kind genuine soul Mariota has and I love to like see him you know with the picture online with him and his his newborn baby as a new dad I know what that feeling's like and to have like all of this you know there's a lot of unfortunate circumstances surrounding you know him being benched his him going on IR getting the surgery but you know to have that moment was great and to have even that now looked on as poorly and judged by a fan base you know it's it's unfortunate but um i don't know i'm i'm curious to see where his career goes from here um i i it probably doesn't go any great places i'm afraid that he's going to be a backup quarterback for a while now um but we'll have to see look at like geno smith i mean like shit happens like he can find himself in a situation that's at least like interesting well and the falcon success they had this year was so much despite their coaching i mean arthur smith oh we have kyle pitts and drake london let's throw it to all these other guys let's lose all these other guys a bunch let's not use these main weapons that my gm drafted in the top 10 for me i'm going to take these new crappy toys and throw. i'm going to play with this cardboard box over here instead it's just it's preposterous and then to not even know that your starting quarterback is about to have a baby i mean this is all anyway yeah all whole nother conversation arthur smith go away no the nfl doesn't want you anymore a guy the NFL does seem to like and seems to be falling in love with is Air Sewell because that was one of the greatest pictures I've ever seen in the NFL ever. Our guy Panay Sewell catching a big time catch on or big time catch, catching a big time third down conversion for the Detroit Lions, setting Twitter ablaze. Shane, did you get a chance to to watch this while you were bartending, or did you get the the Twitter replays later? I didn't see it. Well, I never even, I didn't see it until your uh, Twitter post actually. Um, I did though, (laughs) when I was working, I, you know, there was like a little bit of like the ground shook and I wasn't sure what it was, but apparently (laughs) it was Sewell all the way over in Detroit where he like just plopped down to stay in bounds there. (laughs) Don't kill Zach. Don't kill (laughs) Zach. Oh man. Zach, what are your, your, uh, in, uh, your, how did that, what did you think when you saw that play? (laughs) It was awesome, and I didn't. I unfortunately didn't get to watch. Well, I shouldn't say unfortunately. I was sitting on the beach, so <laughs> I didn't get to watch football. Uh, but no, that was fun. I I got to see it on Twitter afterwards. I was like, wow, they Dan Campbell actually drew that up and and decided to do that. That was that was a lot of fun to see. So good for him. Good for the Lions to get that win over the the Vikings that nobody believes in. So. Um, Vegas believe for in Vegas him. for actually you know setting that line. No, I'm saying that no one believes in the Vikings. Yeah. Oh yeah. Good for Vegas for <laughs> setting that line for the Lions over the the ten and two Vikings or whatever they are. It was. It, but no, that was it was a lot of fun to watch. That line was so funny because I think everybody had like the same reaction where they were like, "Really? 
Not bad, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really, I'm staying completely away. Well, it's so cool. I mean, anything. Whenever you get the Mina Kimes treatment, whenever Mina Kimes, you know, breaks out her little book and you know gives you the drawing treatment, you've done something special. So good for Panay Sewell to get yeah. that. Let's jump back here to good old Eugene, Oregon, and talk about some round ball coverage. Uh, let's talk about this men's side here first. Most recently, well, they're six and five right now, one and one in conference. Wins over Washington State, losses to UCLA. Uh, latest win, a 71-65, which is strangely the same score as last year against UC Riverside. Uh, Mr. Rigsby broke out with a nice game, 19 points to kind of cover for the 16 turnovers by the Oregon Ducks. And Folly Dante also had a big-time game. I think the most interesting story about this game, though, was Q getting in a car, like a minor car accident before the game. And then he had yeah. to get a ride to the game with Dana Altman. Remind me of like, you know, again, AAU basketball having to get like picked up and, you know, ride to the game with your coach kind of he's a situation. Like, he's like outside with his shoes in his hand. Like, yeah, headphones on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, this was a this was a good win for the Ducks. I mean, any any win right now for this team with all the injuries they're battling through it is a good win. But Zach, when we when we look a little bit deeper into this game, what are what are some concerns you have coming out of this win? The fact that they that it was a close game at the end uh, <laughs> was a little bit frustrating. I mean, it was I think they're up seventeen at one point yeah. in the second half, and it yeah ended up being a, a close game. I think it was a two point game at at one point with two point game twenty or so seconds left. Yeah, it was. I know that Dana was hard on them after the game saying that, you know, we just, they just didn't finish. They kind of let their foot off the gas, but um, you know, there's, there's a lot of negatives you could talk about with this team. Like you said, with injuries and everything, they're playing with one arm tied behind their back, but I've been really impressed by what we've seen, you know, the past few games, we, we can talk a lot about Will Richardson, what he's been doing as a leader, uh, finally coming into his own on this team and, and being the guy that we thought that he could be coming back for his fifth year. And then I was super impressed by what we saw from Brandon Rigsby last night. I mean, he's, he is the, the transfer that Oregon was hoping they would get and he's, he can be a real scorer for them and um, definitely be an asset on that offensive side of the ball. And if they get, once they get a little bit healthier and they get Jermaine and they get Keyshawn back I think this team can actually be really impressive because we've seen that uh, they've got a lot of talent and one of the the upsides of these injuries is that it's allowed people like Luke were to find a role and Rivaldo Soros to really develop into a, a nice rotational piece and those are guys that can contribute in February and March so um, I've, I've been really impressed by what I've seen over the past two or three games I will not stand for the bitterly erasure Zach I will not stand for the Nathan Bidley <laughs> sure. He's also coming back and will be a huge asset to this team. Uh, Shane, what are some of your thoughts kind of looking forward now for these next few games as you look at this Oregon men's basketball squad? Uh, I think that this team in the past you know, week or two, basically ever since the loss to UConn, has kind of shown us something that we've been searching for with this group for a while now. It's just kind of a continuity and a like a feeling of fun out there. Um, we've seen them go and use a couple different starting lineups with Rigsby being back, who's a player that I'm uh, very, very impressed by for a lot of reasons. Uh, but I mean, they just have a little bit of the pep in their step. And that was what they were kind of missing all of last year, even in a couple winning situations. It just didn't seem like they were all in it together. And I think the biggest thing about Will Richardson's triple double the other night was what he said after the game and that, you know, I'm making some changes in myself and like the player that I want to be and the person that I want to be. So, I mean, it, we, we have been critical of him. Um, I'd like to read something real quick. Dear Will Richardson, 
I would like to formally apologize for anything I said about you over the last two seasons. I couldn't have been any more wrong in the slanderous way I attacked your play. Although last season didn't go as planned. <laughs> that's no excuse. I know that. And you know that you've proven why your accolades, why you have the accolades that you have. And that I'm just a guy watching on the couch. I have since attended the Luke Rittenauer point guard sensitivity training class classes, and I've learned a lot about my wrongdoings. I sincerely apologize to you and anyone listening. And I hope you forgive me sincerely bartender Shane. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had to mute myself, man. Oh, <laughs> oh, uh, but yeah, gosh. but I mean, just to see him out there and like saying these things and playing the way he is and passing the way he is and and taking shots and being aggressive, it's it's awesome. This is everything that we wanted him to be when he was more in that backup role with Peyton Pritchard and you know that the last like truly truly successful successful Oregon team. So I have I have a ton of optimism and the teams they've lost to uh, all quality wins, probably all in the top. 40, 45, 50, somewhere around there in the country. So, I mean, I think, you know, at being six and five right now, a lot of people, like I heard some people saying at the bar the other day, like, why isn't there anybody there? And I was like, well, it's like winter break. And they were like, well, no, it's because yeah. they suck. And I'm like, they don't suck. Like there's and there's so NBA stinks. guys on this team. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, and, and Matthew Knight is always, it's never been it's a, weird a truly there, raucous man. or like arena, yeah. especially when you watch it on TV and it's a Pac-12 network and there's, you guys ever notice the court looks like way more yellow on the Pac-12 network than it is in real life? Like there's like a don't weird even, like don't even get me started on the court. There's <laughs> like a weird and I disagree about this. I think this might be Zach and I's like biggest debate right here, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who, what are you, are you anti the trees? Uh, yeah, no, I'm yeah we're not we're not doing it. it we're not no, doing it we're not going there <laughs> we'll be here for another two hours um but no I think this team's in a good place. I think you both kind of said it where they built a foundation now of what their culture is, the kind of basketball they want to play. And when they get those other pieces added to that, it's just going to make them that much more successful. Um, you did kind of bury the lead that we saw Will Richardson smile on a basketball court. You guys, he legitimately smiled. It was absolutely glorious. And he just looks like he's having fun out there. So yeah. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Shane. Uh, another player who we were like incredibly wrong and maybe a little bit too critical of Luke War. There was yeah. a Luke Ward sighting uh, against UC Riverside. And I mean, it's like it, a, a good rotational player right yeah, now. Really playing. Right. Well. I mean, we, I mean, the, I, I will say that we were critical of him, but we also may have been like, because we were so high on him from what we saw on like some of like the weirdest, like high school footage you've ever seen, where it was just like this low quality, like grainy, like, was he from like Indiana? Mm-hmm. Or sure he was going know. to school or whatever, and I think it was so Indiana, like somewhere like that, Kansas. But we were just maybe? yeah, yeah, it was somewhere in the Midwest. It was strange, but we were just seeing this guy with just like all this talent and all this ability that we were looking at. It's just like an NBA prototype swingman. But I mean, now he's he's coming to his own. He had that excellent block early. He hit a couple threes. The bench was up and cheering for him, which was great. You know, like it's always good when one of the bench gang gets out there and like is able to get a couple buckets, and then they feel like their success is your success at the Absolutely. same time. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, speaking of success, let's jump on over here to this women's side. Um, the women right now are seven and one overall, one and zero in conference with a big win uh, last Friday against the Oregon. State Beavers. Miz and Gia Rogers goes for 34 points, nine rebounds, six assists, dominating the basketball game. Zero turnovers. Zero, zero turnovers. 
Um, Zach, as you look at this women's team, I mean, what is, what is this team's ceiling? Oh, man. I don't know about ceiling. I mean, they could be a, a very good team once they get completely healthy, too. And What's impressive is that the young players are playing such a big role, too. I mean, Chance Gray is really starting to come into her own. Grace Van Sluten is a player that a lot of Oregon fans hope she could be. And, you know, we don't really deal with transfers as much in women's college basketball as we do in, in men's basketball and football. And so that she's someone that I really hope that we see a long Oregon career from because I think she can be really, really good in this program if she sticks around. Um, but man, India Rogers is just, she's playing like I always thought Tahina Pow Pow, her ceiling could be, if that makes sense. I mean, I, I would project that coming into the season that Tahina would be having these games with 34 points and, you know, a ton of assists and no turnovers and it's, it's India and that's not any hate on Tahina. She's still playing great ball too, but, um, I've been just really impressed by the scoring impact that she has. Um, she seems to be putting her whole game together right now. Um, and I'm I'm just excited for what this team can do in Pac-12 play. That was a huge win over Oregon State to kind of kick things off. Um, I think the next month or two are going to be really fun for them. Well, and really won it behind the three-point line. I mean, the Beavers actually shot outshot the Ducks from the field, 40% to 36%, uh, but the Ducks made up for it with uh, 40% from that three-point line. Shane, as you look at this team, um, what what do you think their ceiling is? I mean, how good can this team be? I think they can make a deep run in the tournament. I think that they will run into a little bit of trouble as they reach um, some of the more top tier teams in the country, purely based on a physicality standpoint. Um, The one kind of spot on this team where I wish we had a little bit more Filipina Shea seems to have kind of taken a little bit of a step back with her physicality and her aggressiveness. Um, She's one player that, I mean, she was, biggest player on the court for most that Oregon state game and was getting pushed around, shoved out of plays. And when she isn't getting the ball and isn't getting some of those putbacks, she kind of takes herself out mentally a little bit where you see just the way that her pace up and down the court slows down. And she gets a little bit less involved off ball, but I mean, they are going to get, um, uh, blanking on her name. Zach, what's the other tall girl back? Kennedy, Kennedy Basham. Yeah, but they're going to get Basham back. So they're going to have a little bit more size. Only problem with that is she is built very, very, very similar to Filipina Shea, where they have about like the they have hips like me. They're just very, very skinny hips. But I mean, I do like what what they're getting from the wings and the guards. Uh, like like Zach was saying, the guards have really taken over as far as like what we thought this group was going to be, as far as aggressiveness and scoring. And Tahina Pow Pow, I mean, yeah, it's not really showing up in like the the stat sheet, but. Uh, I just watched that Steve Jobs movie the other day. And at one point he was talking about like an orchestra and he's like, the violin player plays the violin here. Like the cello player plays the cello here and the conductor plays the orchestra here. And that's kind of how she still feels where, although it's like, yeah, she's not scoring a bunches. She's not even racking up a ton of assists, but she's initiating the offense and she's making sure that everything is just staying as it's going. And I don't think that the other guards, Chance Gray, uh, Hurst or, um, India Rogers would be having this type of success without Tina Pow Pow, which is weird to say because normally a point guard, like, you know, these dual guards don't really complement each other that way. You know, you normally see like Will Richardson and Infali Dante have this connection this year where they really are improving each other's play. But with this team, it's kind of the guards. So in as far as, you know, their, their ceiling for the season, when they run into – you know, a South Carolina or even a Tennessee and some of these other SEC schools, they are going to have some roadblocks and 
they're going to really need to shoot lights out against teams that are going to impose their will against them physically. They can do it. They got they got the talent. And another player I'm really high on is uh, Taya Hansen. She's like my new uh, Kylie Watson. She has like she's like Kylie Watson guard version. So she's like kind of got the same like fuck you look in her eyes. And she she does bring a little bit of physicality and just kind of a, a more more composure than some of the younger guards. Because, I mean, they're still very inexperienced at this point. Well, and you just you look at this team and, you know, you see what Kelly Graves was trying to do. And they're they're just missing that six foot seven mid post player with a tough attitude that can defend and can rebound. I mean, this would just Sedona be a completely Prince. different team if Sedona Prince was on this roster. Exactly. And it's just so unfortunate <clears throat> that she's not here because I mean, Tahina is definitely the the straw that stirs the drink, if you will. But Sedona's like those ice cubes. You need you need like that kind of just like that that personality out there on the on the court as much as you know and that that toughness that she really brought so it's unfortunate you know with her being able to play this season but um i'm with you guys i think this team can make a definitely can make a deep run uh the pac-12 it's going to be iron sharpens iron all season long so be curious to see um kind of where the chips fall at the end of the season all right shane it is time Mm. oh boy it is time i know everybody's been waiting i know you've all been waiting the duck generate final standings. We don't know this. I'm this scared. is, this is being released live here on the podcast. So Shane, please do the honor, sir. I'd like to just start by saying I'm really proud of us as a group. Uh, I think that, you know, we, you know, we even like ch- chose some picks just to, to zag away from each other, just getting, you know, competitive within each other, maybe not picking exactly who we thought was going to win every game. But overall, this was a pretty, this was a good season for us as a group. Now, uh, you know, Zach went off to a really early lead this year. He was up about, you know, 12 to 15 games on us at any given point early. Kind of cooled off a little bit late. That's when I hit my hot streak. And, uh, you know, I kind of just, you know, chugged along here at the end of the year. So in third place at 87 and 77, we have Mr. Duckswire himself. No, Zach Neal. How did I lose. That's insane. <laughs> second place. Wow. Second what place. Now, now, second place and first place were separated by one. Second place being 89 and 75. Did I do it? We have myself as Justin, coach Justin D. Fluid. Wow goes that's 10 insane. Let's and go. four Let's in the go. last week to go <laughs> ahead and win at an overall record for the season at 90 and 74 he's got the least amount of gambling experience Jeez. out of all of let's us. go he never wanted to know the lines beforehand he never even knew his picks after the fact and just was captain consistency really i was going back and i was looking i was like how do you do this you just stayed right above 500 every week and just kept going and going and then just exploded for 10 and four the last week. Oh, that is fantastic. That makes my day. Oh my gosh. That sucks. My gosh. I like how even though you were like, you were just chanting second place there. Second. I know I was excited to get second. (laughs) (laughs) I was excited to not be last. Thought you guys would embarrass me this during this whole process, but wow. All right. It's an honor. It's an honor, gentlemen. You know, what can I say? Yeah, we'll have to get you a plastic WWE championship belt. Oh my god, that'd be amazing. I'll put it right up here on the wall. Yeah, I put it behind you for the you know for the season. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. All right, guys. Uh epic podcast. This was this was a very good podcast, but we've reached time. We have reached 
the last take where we get off that that just that fiery take that's just sitting on our chest and we just we got to get it out there's got to be something i just got to get it off my chest who wants to go first shane you have one i don't i don't have anything right now let me take a second (laughs) i've got one it's definitely not a, a fiery take but um just for Oregon fans, as this next week goes, uh, as we head up to the early signing day and recruiting, it's time to really keep a level head and not get too high, not get too low. There are going to be a lot of highs over the next week. Seriously, I think that we're going to get announcements of some visitors coming this week that are going to be breaking news. Um, we also, I mean, we talked about the whole Dante Moore situation earlier. We could get some heartbreak. I mean, there's a, a real chance that he could decommit, which would really, really sting for Oregon fans. Um, it's just, that's part of the game right now. So I think that if you can go through this and remember what we were saying, that these are 17 year old kids, uh, in a lot of instances dealing with life-changing decisions, life-changing amounts of money. Um, you know, it's just kind of time to take a deep breath and realize that this is a game. This is all fun. Um, and just not, not get too high not get too low. Um, and trust in Dan in the end, I think that the, the program, no matter what happens this next week, I think the program's going the right place and there's still a bright future ahead. So just remember that and try not to get too mad at kids on the internet. That's my two cents. (laughs) perfect yeah. i, I just i just want to agree with everything he said that's that's my take is yeah don't t- tweet at them like you're tweeting at like y- your kids would be in high school well you wouldn't be doing yeah. that i guess but you know you know <laughs> what i mean <laughs> you get the idea um my as as per usual my hot take is a little bit of a curveball but it's at least sports related this week um the NBA announced that they're uh, renaming and uh, creating some new trophies for awards and whatnot. And uh, there's been a backlash, of course, as there is with a lot of these announcements. I like it. I like it. I like the trophies. I like a lot of the names that they chose. Um, I'm a fan. You know, there's also there's in particular there's this uh, this big award. Uh, I think it's most va- most valuable player. I think they give that out and they named that after the goat. So that was great. They named it after Michael Jordan. So I just think that was perfect. So that, that's my yeah. hot take here. Did at the you end see, of the podcast. It was, I think it was like Kendrick Perkins or something was like, I will name the LeBron <laughs> uh, award for the finals MVP that was held in like a, a bubble in Disneyland or something. <laughs> I think it was Evan Turner that came off the top. If there's ever another bubble championship, we can name that one after LeBron James. <laughs> my, my biggest bone to pick with the that whole thing. I don't, I don't really have a problem with it at all. Um, but the six man award, Lou Williams was right there. I mean, I just, I don't understand how you don't name it the Lou Williams award. I, that's where I thought it was a little like, Cause they were like, they, they obviously were picking from like mostly a certain generation and like, I get it for historical like relevance or whatever, but like the dude won it. Like <laughs> it was like every year. Yeah, it's his namesake basically for sure. All right. Uh, I think we've done it. I think we've, we've reached the end. Um, as always take care of your chicken, take care of your mentals. We appreciate you. We love you. We out. Stone. Man, Zach, I thought I was going to get you. I, I
Sorry. Shout a little bit softer now. 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 Shout a little bit softer now.
Shout a little bit softer now. Shout a little bit softer now. Shout a little bit softer now. Shout a 